This podcast is sponsored by Medtronic. From all of us, thank you. We're grateful for all that you're doing to bring health and safety to your patients every day. You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to Heart Sounds for May 2020. I'm your host, Shelley Wood, the managing editor at TCTMD.com. Usually I spend this podcast summing up the big cardiology news of recent weeks and letting you listen in on some of the interviews the TCTMD reporters did to write those stories. Our focus in the past month has, again, been on COVID-19. At the start of this pandemic, I don't think anyone could have predicted the extent to which cardiometabolic diseases would predispose people to the worst outcomes, or that cardiovascular side effects would be a prominent feature of some of the most commonly used Hail Mary treatments for this virus. Certainly, no one could have predicted that telling people to stay at home to avoid contracting this illness would have led to the profound drops in MI, stroke, and other acute presentations at hospitals around the globe. Stories on all of these topics and many more have taken over TCTMD in recent weeks. Rather than sum up any of that here today, I'm going to go back to the format I used back in March. That's when I spent this podcast speaking with Elida Chiaffo about how the outbreak in northern Italy had turned cardiology practice there on its head, and she had a lot of warnings and advice for what was still to come for other parts of the world. Two months later, I'm using this podcast for a one-on-one interview with Barbara Cassidy in the UK to hear what it's like for a country now emerging from the worst of the pandemic. Dr. Cassidy is a British Heart Foundation professor and an honorary consultant cardiologist at the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford. She is also the president of the European Society of Cardiology, which holds its annual Congress in late August. When I reached her to ask about all the ways COVID-19 has affected the cardiology field, she told me she'd been working around the clock on plans for that meeting, which made the decision to go virtual earlier this month. Here's my conversation with Dr. Cassidy. I'd love to start with hearing a little bit about what things are like in the UK currently. I'm in North America where the number of of cases and hospitalizations and even deaths are still on the rise in many places or people are waiting for the surge to come. But the UK to some extent has turned a corner, I understand, or at least is plateauing in some ways. Have I got that right? Where are things with you? We are, uh, yes, uh, I think that uh, we are seeing far less uh, admissions uh, with COVID uh, uh, patients uh, in, in the last uh, two weeks or so. So it does look like it has uh, plateaued uh, since uh, the lockdown. Now, of course, the lockdown is getting uh, somewhat uh, more relaxed and increasingly more relaxed. So it will be very interesting to see what is going to happen uh, as a consequence of that, uh, particularly also not only in the UK, but also in Italy. Yeah, and Spain, of course, I see that they're opening up as well. I know that many cardiologists have been drawn into sort of pitching in in different ways, either in ICUs or in other acute care needs. Is that still the case? Uh, less so. Uh, it depends. So you cannot really, it's difficult to speak for everybody. I think it very much depends on the number of patients who are, are still being uh, admitted. 
you know, people do what they uh, have to do uh, given the circumstances. And so there have been massive uh, restructuring uh, for and creation of extra uh, intensive care beds in most hospitals. And the extent uh, is very much driven by the number of patients who are being admitted. Peak in Italy, uh, a, a colleague of mine was saying that she was having to restructure her department uh, you know, every other day, almost. That's incredible. All around the world, there's been reports of these missing heart attacks that the drop in acute MI has just been a, a completely unexpected, I think, um, side effect, as it were. Tell me, the UK has tracked cases that dropped. And then, of course, there's been um, fears that there'd be more late complications. And I actually spoke to a UK physician, Gada McHale, in London, who told us about the, the sort of early signs of these late presentations. But can you give us a picture of heart attack in the UK currently? Are yes. some of these patients coming back to hospital or is this still a problem? So my uh, in interventional colleagues are seeing uh, more severe late presentations uh, with complications that people hadn't seen for 20 years or so. Uh, so we are going backwards in that respect. Overall, in England, there has been about a 50% reduction in admissions for acute coronary syndrome, uh, including STEMI and non-STEMI. And uh, it has been particularly the old patients uh, that haven't come in. I noticed the results from the Kaiser Permanente that were published uh, very recently, and they didn't see a, a difference in the age of admissions, but they saw patients uh, that presented uh, were less likely to have a history of ischemic heart disease or previous MI. Right. We know that we, there is an influenza uh, outbreak every year, but uh, the media the, the, uh, the don't make such a fuss about it. And people still go to the hospital and they don't think, oh, I'm not going to the hospital for fear of uh, catching the influenza. And there is a vaccine, of course, that is not completely, but at least partially protected. Here, there has been uh, a, really a uh, panic uh, uh, in, in that respect, uh, people are desperate not to go to hospital. And uh, um, from the point of view of the hospitals and the governments, there has been a failure of providing uh, assurance uh, that uh, if people go to the hospital, they will be housed in relatively clean areas and uh, uh, there will be point of care testing, that uh, the people who look after them will be tested. Uh, uh, and so that they are, you know, as safe as one can be under those circumstances and also put in perspective what is the risk of uh, uh, not going into hospital with a STEMI versus the risk uh, of catching a coronavirus. So I think that is very important. So we've been hearing this for over a month now. Is the message not getting out? Are you seeing any kind of turnaround or is it too soon to even look at the data? I think it is too soon. I mean, uh, anecdotally, you, you do hear uh, that people think, you know, things might be, you know, picking up again. But uh, in the same way that people are starting not to respect the lockdown of their own initiative. Uh, and so yeah, I think you can see uh, that maybe the two things, hopefully, the disadvantage that one uh, uh, will 
gathered by not you know respecting the lockdown might be yeah. countered by the fact that people are uh, you know less panicky and uh, more willing to to uh, go to hospital I slightly suspect that quarantine fatigue is going to let people think it's fine to go to the beach, but not fine still to go to hospitals. But yeah, I mean, in a few weeks we will know. I mean, uh, there are places in uh, in uh, Europe, like the UK, Sweden, who have uh, uh, this uh, system, national system of data gathering, and uh, with not an instantaneous feedback, but uh, a, a feedback and. Yeah. That's why I am reluctant to give figures that are based on my anecdotal experience because I know that uh, I can have access to the, those data and that will really give a very much clearer picture. Yeah, fair enough. What about elective cardiology procedures? Those were put on hold in most parts of the world. Are those starting up again in the UK? Yes, they, they are definitely starting up again. And... Uh, you know, not only the elective procedures were put on hold, but almost uh, all cardiac surgery. Right. So it has been a very big difference. There has been uh, a central advice, you know, to, to postpone anything elective that could be postponed. And then, uh, you know, every hospital it depends on how they are organized and whether they have the opportunity to do this elective in a relatively safe environment, then they have uh, done uh, some of the kind of semi-elective, you know, elective urgent. But uh, yes, I think things are picking up in that respect. Okay. There's been a number of controversies around COVID-19 that really touched on cardiovascular disease more than I think we could have predicted at the outset. One of the ones that has been a hot topic on TCTMD has been hydroxychloroquine and the extent to which some parts of the world have really taken it up, even though the signal of arrhythmias with these malaria drugs is getting more and more well documented. I'd love to know, in the UK, has it been, has, has it been embraced the way it has been, say, by President Trump? No. The short answer is no. I think uh, that uh, in the UK, there have been some guidance from uh, NICE of what uh, might be done uh, in these patients. And importantly, uh, and again, taking advantage of our National Health Service, uh, there, there are uh, trials that are actually recruited over 10,000 patients, uh, uh, like the recovery trial, you know, to uh, really uh, address what it is that work in these patients in, in reasonable numbers and uh, in a streamlined fashion. I think we have been doing quite well in that respect. You know, I like the way that this has uh, evolved in the UK. I have done a short survey of what is going on in Europe and uh, it is, has been very interesting. I mean, I plotted it all on the map of Europe and even within the same country, you can have hospitals that uh, give some drugs, other hospitals that don't, where there has been lack of a central advice on what to do. People have uh, done things quite haphazardly, not surprisingly, you know, it's not uh, the way <laughs> we will learn anything about yeah. anything by doing things like that. No, it really speaks to, I think, the need for the sort of desperation to try anything in the hopes it would work. The other agents that I think have also been quite controversial has been the, the RAS inhibitors. <laughs> 
the ACE inhibitors and the ARBs and the confusion over that. It's hard to sum up a whole field, but it seems to me that some of the confusion there has been settled. People aren't as worried about the possibility that these drugs might increase their risk of infection. Any perspective on that? To me, that is even worse than trying whatever you have just been because of that kind of wish that doctors have to do something for their patients. Because here, you know, what you would do is to stop something that works in the hope that they would do something <laughs> that may be completely irrelevant. And so that is worse, I think, because one should stick to what we know is beneficial for these patients and you cannot stop something with the idea uh, that you know it works uh, you know in order to prevent uh, an effect that you don't even know whether uh, it's real or not yeah we quoted you in a story on tctmd and you said something along the lines of making sure that you treat the disease that you know you can treat um, yes, not the right. ones that you don't know what to do with. It's, uh, yeah, yeah that, that has been uh, my uh, little slogan for this time, you know, saving the lives that we know how to save, uh, not forget that because, uh, you know, for, for the STEMI, uh, and it's not only the STEMI, I mean, it, it is the strokes as well. Uh, it is terrible to think that we can do evidence-based therapies for these patients that we know exactly what to do, that we can do it well, that we can do it rapidly and uh, not to, you know, to have that kind of fear that prevents uh, the deployment of such effective uh, treatment is really very, very painful to watch. I did want to ask about one more thing, though, and that is the impact on physicians, because we've talked about patients and the disease, but obviously healthcare professionals have been so hard hit around the world, and it's, it's been a huge topic in the UK. And then the lasting effect on physicians from what they've been through. Are you concerned about your colleagues and your trainees and, and what the impact will be on physicians and nurses and other hospital professionals? Yeah, I'm very concerned about the junior doctors, uh, particularly even uh, medical students uh, or uh, people who just got a degree that, that were kind of uh, recruited to help uh, in this situation, being also the category at the lowest risk uh, to develop a serious uh, COVID disease. I am already uh, always trying to make the job of being a doctor as attractive as possible for the newer generation, you know, to actually try to make it as flexible as it has been for me, to uh, give, empower people to uh, really, to some extent, to write the job description and have less micromanagement. And uh, this, to me, <laughs> hasn't helped. Because uh, if we want to get the best people to uh, go into medicine, stay into medicine and in cardiology, uh, maybe this is a baptism of fire that is not, hasn't been particularly beneficial that people might think, oh, I don't really want to do this again, or I don't really want to be in this position. It's not the medicine that we hope to practice. You know, we like to do something that is evidence-based specific that we know can make a difference that we have uh, you know rather than uh, doing support treatment for a lot of people who are dying on us uh, that is not really what 
makes you feel good when you go home in the evening. Yeah, it's not why many people went into cardiology. I always hear people are attracted to cardiology because they can see benefits of what they do. So very hard. Exactly. I mean, that, that's definitely been the case in my generation. I wanted to be a neurologist, but uh, you know, there wasn't much happening in neurology when I, in my generation. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to make brilliant diagnosis, but then I can't do much about it. Whereas in cardiologists uh, started to be a lot that one could do. And that was uh, definitely very exciting. It still is. Yeah, it would be remiss if I didn't mention you ESC president. And we've learned in this past month that the ESC would go to a virtual meeting this year. Um, certainly TCPMD will be covering the ESC meeting as closely as we have before. Um, but this is something very different that's landed on your plate unexpectedly. Yeah, I mean, it is... Uh an enormous challenge, you know, because when you move into an online event, you cannot just uh, uh, translate what you have into an online event uh, program that you have. You know, it, it is like uh, using Google Translate or actually speaking a, a, a language. And uh, if you Google Translate it into an online event, uh, it is bound to sound clunky. And, uh, and not to really work. Uh, so you really need to speak another language. Learn it and learning to speak and do so fluently in a short time. And so that is an enormous challenge. I'm sure we will, we will not get everything right, but we'll try. We try very hard. I'm hoping I can touch base with you closer to the time and you can perhaps give me a bit of a preview. For now, we'll say that you are working around the clock trying to learn this new language, I guess. Yes. Thank you so much for telling me a bit about what's happening in the United Kingdom. Thank you, Shelley. That's it for the May 2020 edition of Heart Sounds. All of the topics I touched on with Dr. Cassidy are ones that we've been covering nonstop on TCTMD.com. I hope you'll head to the website to check those out. We've also been tirelessly updating our COVID-19 daily dispatch. Researched by TCTMD's Todd Neal, this is a carefully curated synopsis of all of the research and policy news in this space. I think you'll be hard-pressed to find another easily accessible online source to keep abreast of all of this information. Back in March, we created a COVID-19 hub, which is where you'll find all of our news coverage, the daily dispatch, as well as our video programming. We've managed to connect via Zoom with physicians all over the world for these videos, and I promise you'll get more out of these than you will scrolling mindlessly through Twitter, or worse, cable network news. We've also made sure to keep up on important research that's not COVID-19 related. If we've missed some important cardiology topic while swatting out the COVID news, you better tell me about it. This has been one of the strangest times to be a medical journalist. The urgency of the research is palpable. The suffering of patients, families, and physicians is like nothing I've ever witnessed. The pace of publication has been mind-boggling, but the quality of that research compared with the kinds of clinical trials and other analyses we typically cover has been of a different order. I know I'm not alone in looking forward to well-powered, hard outcome studies that don't have anything to do with SARS-CoV-2. I appreciate that may take some time. For now, I hope all of you are keeping safe and taking comfort in your health and your loved ones. Keep in touch if you like what we've been up to or if you're sick of it. 
You can find me via my bio on tctmd.com or on Twitter as ShellyWood2. Thanks for listening. Love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original series from TCTMD featuring Rock's Heart Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran and Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson. These episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.